Big goals don't have to be daunting. It's common to fear ambitious goals, but every big dream can be broken down into manageable pieces. This is the 5AM Miracle, episode number 394. What it really takes for massive goal achievement with Jim Hewling. Good morning, I am Jeff Sanders and this is the podcast dedicated to dominating your day before breakfast. My guest today is a global managing consultant for Franklin Covey. He is also a public speaker, executive coach, and co-author of the new second edition of the book, The Four Disciplines of Execution, Achieving Your Wildly Important Goals. And now here is my interview with Jim Hewling. Hi, Jeff. Thank you. I'm very honored to uh, be included as a guest today. Thanks. I want to jump right in today with the book that you have co-authored with a couple other guys. And this book is called The Four Disciplines of Execution, Achieving Your Wildly Important Goals. Um, I think this book is a great fit for this podcast. And I'm really curious in terms of lots of different elements here. But I want to start with why don't we, I guess, as leaders, as people, as individuals, why don't we execute our goals effectively or why do we need to to understand execution better? Yeah, Jeff, it's such a great question. And, you you know, your question is actually targeted at the point of origin of our whole discussion today. <laughs> so congratulations on uh, on starting us in a great place. And, and, and I want to give you an answer that's really simple, <clears throat> but I, I'll also say it can be a little deceptive. And so... Hey, first of all, isn't it great to be talking to an entire audience of high achieving people, you know, people who are really trying to get something done. I can I can almost feel the vibe of your audience is like, come on, Jim Hewlin, give us something that'll be valuable today. <laughs> so so I start with this in, in a very simple way. And, and it is the fact that we are so busy. Um, if you think about your own life, Jeff, as I think about my life on any given day, I have, you know, 20, 30, 40 high priority, urgent things sort of pulling on me, right? You, I imagine you editing a podcast and doing some marketing and doing other types of work that you do and writing a blog post. And you've got all those things that are so important. It's a little bit like an airport with a hundred planes in the air all circling. Hmm. And none of them can really land because the sky is full of airplanes, you know? So, so to stretch that metaphor just a tiny bit, the way we accomplish the things that really matter are we choose intentionally, hopefully thoughtfully, and maybe for some people even prayerfully, we choose which plane needs to land now. And the key to that is, is to do something that sounds so simple, Jeff, but it's really hard. If you, if you or anyone listening to us today just thinks about the 10 things that matter most in your life right now, the 10 things that you should be giving your energy to, you really care about the outcome, you really hope will go well, and then narrow your focus to the one that matters most. I mean, if I just pause right there, Jeff, anybody listening to you and I today, if they just do that exercise, they'll start by saying, well, gosh, that's pretty easy. And the 10 is really easy. And the one is really hard. <laughs> and that's what we call focus. It's principle of focus, deciding what matters most now we have a we have a little bit cheesy name for this, Jeff. We call it wildly important. Of all the goals in your life that are all important, which one is wildly important? And that's the one we begin the execution journey on by giving it a disproportionate amount of attention from our energy and our time and our capacity. 
Yeah, I think it's incredibly valuable in terms of narrowing that down. And one thing, one way I've thought of this in the past is that, you know, I'll ask someone, like, how many number one goals do you have right now? And, you know, the answer really should be one, but it never is, right? We always have 10 or 100 number one goals we're trying to get done. So I guess let's let's go from that perspective that yeah. someone has 100 airplanes or 100 goals, and then they're trying to narrow this down. What does the process look like to narrow down our goals to be able to say this one goal right now matters most? Yeah, I think I think that's a great question. And that takes us right into the, you know, sort of the tactical part of executing. Putting aside for a moment, it's really hard to find that one. But once you do, then then how do I get this list narrowed down so I can I can say with confidence, you know, every every goal I have is important, but for the next six months, let's say, Jeff, this one is wildly important. How do I get to that point? Um, and, I, and I think there's three ways you have to think about all the things you're trying to do in your life in order to, for the moment, select the one that's most important. Number one, which goal, when achieved, creates the greatest impact on your life and the lives of the people around you? Now, Jeff, I've had a lot of people say, hey, Jim, you could just stop with that one. That's that's good. That'll, that'll mm-hmm. take me right where I need to go, you know. But we don't often think of that in terms of impact on lives outside of our own. When you include that dimension, I promise you it changes the algebra of how you pick your number one thing. So what is the, what is the goal which, when achieved, would create the greatest impact on my life and the lives of the people you know, around me, however you think of your own circle? That's number one. That gets you the universe of me and into the universe of, of we. That's number one. Number two is um, what is the goal whose pursuit and accomplishment is objectively measurable? Jeff, this, I don't know if you could tell in my voice just now, but this is my favorite one, you know, because <laughs> as soon as I say objectively measurable, those two words are like a magic formula, you know, open sesame and the door comes open. Uh, that will literally reduce your list from 20, 30, 40 down to about three. <laughs> <laughs> and what it really does is it separates fantasy from something that's achievable, right? It, it, there's lots of things we wish for and we hope for. Man, I, I really thought I was going to be a power forward for the Boston Celtics, you know, and uh, it's just not going to happen, Jeff. So, mm. so the pursuit of things that are objectively measurable, that's, that's number two. And then, and then number three, uh, and this is a hard one. I, I say it with real love and respect for everybody who's on a, on a, on a high achievement journey. Uh, what is the one over which you can have full ownership? And, and what I mean by that is there is no one to blame. If you make it, you stand tall. My mother used to say, put your shoulders back, you know, look like you did something important. But if you fail, it's on you. It's on me. You can't say, yeah, but the economy. Yeah, but the weather. Yeah, but the government. Yeah, but the re-. you can't do any of that. You've got to pick one that that you can say, I own this. Yes, there are challenges along the way. Yes, there'll be things that I might struggle with. Yes, there are resources and and guidance that I'll need, of course. But at the end of the day, can I own this one? Those three things uh, give you a pretty good recipe for going from 20, 30, 40 down to one or maybe two that you could, you know, you could then make a final decision on. Yeah, this is a great way to filter the goals. I think it's a really like very tactical way to approach this. And I want to go back to the first one you mentioned, which is impact. And there's one element of that that I, I, I like what you said here about this idea that we don't think of goals that impact outside of ourselves. Oftentimes, we're very like me-centric. 
And from that perspective, how do we go about uh, choosing goals that we we believe can be more impactful in terms of, I guess, the community around us, that circle of influence? Is there a way to say, like, here's how we can filter out goals that we can identify up front that this will be more impactful? Yeah, gosh, Jeff. I, can I just pause for a minute? This may be inappropriate, but you are really asking great questions today. I mean, <laughs> Good and, and I'm on a lot of podcasts and I'm not often asked questions of this kind of depth and insight. So congratulations, my friend. I'm, you, I'm already bringing my A game because of the questions uh, that, you're, <laughs> that you're asking me, my friend. And, um, and, and I think this is a really good thing to think about for a moment because I'm, I'm not going to turn your question around, but I'm going to rephrase it just slightly. Sure. When you consider a goal as a candidate for your number one most important thing at this moment, and for time frame and reference, let's just say for the next six months, something you're really going to pursue, what it actually does, Jeff, is it puts a huge mirror in front of your face. So let me give you an example. Uh, and, and by the way, I have no judgment around anybody's goals. You know, I have only encouragement for people to have goals and achieve them. So I, I'm not saying this with any kind of uh, pre-made value system. But, but let's just say, for example, the number one most important thing in your life at this moment out of all the universe of things you could choose is to make a certain amount of money. Well, there's nothing wrong with that, right? You need money and money does good things and it supplies families and people and it empowers, you know, missions to be accomplished. All that's great. But you also have to look straight in the face of when given the choice out of 100 things, I said money was my most important thing. Is that who I am? And one more time, Jeff, please forgive me for over apologizing. If it is, nothing wrong with that. But I think a lot of people would look at that and say, you know, money is an enabler, but I'd like it to be an enabler of a greater mission. Mm. I'd like it to do, be. I'd like it to. I'd like it to be important, Jeff. I hope I'm saying this well in a way that's clear. But now that I really think about it, I really want to make more money in order to do something that really matters. You know, whether it's take care of my family or support some mission or charitable cause in the world or or give some back to something else or whatever that may be, it puts a mirror in front of us to know and look squarely at what we're choosing and say, what? how does that reflect on me? And is that right? And Jeff, you know, I, I can't say for the whole world, but I can say most of the people that I coach and work with, they never stick with that first choice. The first choice leads them to be larger thought. Yeah, I think that's absolutely correct. I, the idea of money is an interesting one because I've always thought of money as something that doesn't actually drive me forward. I don't actually, I'm not motivated by money, but I'm definitely motivated by, by the idea of what money could do. And I like what you said with this idea. I think this actually ties into the second piece about things being objectively measurable because money is often used as that measuring stick. It's that metric that we, we tend to lean on to say like, well, this goal is successful or not based upon revenue or based upon how much money is in the bank account. How else do we measure our goals if money may not be the only one? Like, What are the other ways we can say this goal is actually moving forward because we have these ways to, to see those milestones? Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, this is one of the most pivotal elements in, in all the four disciplines, Jeff. And, and uh, I hope I say this with great humility. You know, it's, uh, it's worth mentioning really fast. My writing partner and I, Chris McChesney, are, are 
quick to say we did not invent these ideas. These ideas have been around forever. You know, Jeff, we're, our favorite joke is there was probably a group of cave people trying to achieve something who came up with these same principles that we've written. <laughs> you know, that's, they're, they're really timeless in a sense. But, but maybe what we've done is codify them. You, you complimented earlier about it being a tactical, and I think that's what we really want is a practical way. So, so here is what I think is a breakthrough idea in this book, and, and I hope I say that humbly but proudly, is, is, you know, as hard as it is to decide what goal is going to be most important and what you're going to put your energy onto, um, what's really difficult, and Jeff, I, I'd love to hear if you agree with often goes unexplored for most people is a heavy concentration on the how. Mm. In other words, the typical process for an individual or a team <laughs> is once we decide on a goal, we sort of dust our hands off and say, okay, we got that done. Let's go, you guys, you know? And, and then if you leave it at that level of clarity or definition, then everybody just starts trying to do everything they can think of to move the number, move the goal, move us toward the goal. And that's sort of like trying to boil the ocean. You know, no progress is actually ever made unless some miracle occurs, you know, and all the planets line up and somebody does the right thing. But what, what we advocate and what has turned out to be uh, amazing, really, around the world is to identify the one or two human behaviors. We might, you might call them actions that are the most predictive of achieving the goal. So in other words, if, I, if I'm uh, running a team in a business and I want to improve customer satisfaction, there might be 150 things I can do that would add to the experience of every customer. But the reality is that only a small set of those behaviors are going to move the number in a significant way. So the idea in discipline two, and in what we call leading measures, the measurement of actions that lead to the goal. That's what we mean by leading measures, you know, is to find the one or two things that have a disproportionate impact on achieving the goal, and then attack those things at a world-class level. <laughs> hmm. uh, you see, you get the idea there, and it, it's a way of thinking. I've been in leadership 44 years, Jeff, and, and uh, uh, I had 11 years as CEO of a large corporation and now 13 years with Franklin Covey working with leaders all over the world. I think I can say with confidence, we, we put a tremendous amount of energy into defining a goal, and we put almost no energy into having that same level of rigor about which actions are we going to concentrate on in order to achieve the goal. And if I was, if I was going to say it colloquial, and I, I can't see you roll your eyes, Jeff, so if you do, it's okay. You know, we're, we're literally going to find a way to work smarter rather than just harder. You know, Let's mm. get smart about the achievement of that goal. Now, I want to pause a minute. That's a that's a little bit of a new idea. You know, you won't find many leaders in the world who who will say, "Here's my goal and here are the two driving actions I'm betting on will get me that goal." You won't find many people who've gone to that level of clarity. Um, am I saying it in a way that you think uh, our listeners are following along so far? Well, it actually ties into something that I did a few years ago, which I have a, a vision board in my office that is not a traditional one. It's not one that has like, you know, a sports car and a big house on it. Instead, what I have done is converted mine into what I call like daily habits that I focus on that I have identified that if I do these certain actions or I think in these certain ways, it will lead to the goals I'm currently working on, which sounds similar to what you're saying here in terms yeah. of here are the actions that if we do these few things, 
that actually moves us towards our goal, which to me is kind of that's the nature of day to day action is that if we can tie in what we're doing every day to the end goal, that actually leads us to the end goal as opposed to just random nonsense that tends to occur most of the time. It's exactly right. I mean, if you took the simplest example possible that almost everybody can relate to, suppose you have a goal of losing weight and and you go through your entire week and you just eat in a good way, you hope. You, maybe you move or walk around or exercise a little bit, and then you get on the scale every Saturday morning hoping that somehow that scale will move. Well, our nomenclature is the weight on the scale is a lagging measure. In other words, it is the end result of whatever behaviors or actions you have taken in the days or weeks that led up to it. So it, in other words, it's always it's always really historical. You know what I'm saying? When when you get on the scale on Saturday morning, whatever numbers on that scale, it's a reflection of your previous week, not mm. the week to come. It's a lagging measure. Well, the great idea in discipline, too, at least I think it's great. I hope it's all right. I say it that way, Jeff, is, is if you identify a couple of highly predictive leading measures and you are tracking those all through the week, you almost don't even need the scale. You know, stepping on the scale becomes anticlimactic because you know that you have measured. Well, that equivalent happens in all fields of human endeavor and in all businesses and, and team-based organizations everywhere. If we, can, if we can, first of all, choose one goal, that's the one we want to give our best effort to. And then second, identify the driving behaviors that really do impact that goal. I promise you this, and even if it sounds like hyperbole, Jeff, you'll be ahead of 97, 98% of the world in terms of your execution clarity, even just with those two things. And I, I, I'm afraid I'm making this sound like an infomercial, Jeff, but, but <laughs> we're only halfway through the four disciplines. You know, that's only, that's only 50% of our formula, but you can see the clarity that that would add. What if in 2024, you got a little bit better every day? When you're learning a new language with my sponsor, Babbel, that's exactly what you're doing. And if Babbel can help you start speaking a new language in just three weeks, imagine what you could do in a full year. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Finally achieve your new language goal in 2024 with Babbel the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Babbel's convenient courses have helped me to learn real-life conversation skills in German, including ordering food and asking for directions without having to rely on language apps while traveling. Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Now, here's a special limited-time deal for my listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for my listeners at babbel.com slash 5am. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash 5am, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash 5am. Rules and restrictions may apply. Oh, certainly. I think the idea of a, of a leading measure is, is a very powerful one. You have the right tools that you're looking at, the right metrics you're looking at. Yeah, you're right. It's it's kind of boring then to see the result because you already know what's going to happen. <laughs> uh, can't great. you imagine how many uh, leaders in the world would like to say, yeah, getting the monthly report is a kind of boring thing because it's always good. <laughs> 
<laughs> very true. Very true. You know, one of the key things that I focus on this podcast a lot is the idea of focus itself, mostly because I see this idea, like you mentioned in the beginning, that we're busy as individuals, as leaders, and that distraction tends to be one of our biggest challenges. I know for me, like I think of myself as a creative person, which means I have a thousand ideas a day. I can only act on one or two of them. How do people tend to figure out ways to block distraction so that the focus that we say matters to us, like still stays important and actually it's on our calendar and we actually follow through. Like, is there a way to, to frame the, the confusion and the chaos of daily life to not be so much? Oh gosh. Yeah. And Jeff, uh, you know, I feel that I'm honored that you would ask me that question because clearly everybody on this podcast knows this is something you've mastered and are, and are a teacher of powerful principles on yourself, my friend. But I'd like to give you two things, one philosophical and one practical. <laughs> so on the philosophical level, we have to learn to distinguish between what is truly important and what is simply urgent, what feels urgent. So in other words, if I'm on this podcast with you, uh, being as clear and articulate and impactful as I can be is incredibly important to me. So important. I was up at, no no pun intended, Jeff, 5 a.m. getting ready to be a good guest on your podcast today. But if my phone buzzes with a message from my boss or a friend or something that might be important, that feels urgent, but it's not really important. It's not likely that it's important. You see the difference? Mm. So the, the ability to distinguish these is what's critical. And, and, and I say with great kindness, but also real clarity, most people have lost the ability to discern whether something is truly important or it just feels urgent. And that's a lost art in some ways. And that's the skill that when we begin working on, it can really change our whole life to say, does this just feel urgent or is this really important? So that's the philosophical part, learning to distinguish between urgent and important, critical skill if you want to be good at accomplishing things with your life, and, and maybe even, as you said, uh, avoiding distraction. But then secondarily, that a tactical kind of idea is to bring that idea of focus all the way down to your day. Now, this is where I feel like I'm, I'm a little bit like a student giving a book report to the author with you. Jeff, <laughs> as a, uh, but, you know, if you start your day at 5 a.m. and if you have a set of critical practices, we know that those early morning hours have a disproportionate impact on the entire day. So I, I, I'm not bragging at all to say for the last 43 years of my life, every single morning I have written down on a list the three things that are most important for me to accomplish in this day. And so if you bring that kind of focus to your tactical approach to the day, you most often will find that you get a whole, you have the ability to get more done, but you also have the ability to buffer off to the side all the things that just feel urgent, but they really weren't. They didn't make the list, you know. So this morning, I wrote down the three things that were most important for me to accomplish today. One of them was to be a world-class guest on your podcast and to deliver a message that was impactful uh, and would help hundreds or even thousands of people possibly. I wrote that down. I'm looking at it right now. Actually, it's right here in my app where I, I wrote down on my three things. So if you bring that level of focus, this is my tactical advice, you will have the ability to say no throughout the day or maybe not now to a whole lot of other things that are, feel urgent but aren't nearly as the thing that mattered most. And and I want to quickly add a thought on the end of that, um, uh, Jeff, is that most of the time we live in the reverse of this, you know? I mean, we, we go through our day saying to ourselves, 
I, I really need to work on that today. I really need to get to that. And I'm going to. I'm going to get to that. I just need to clean my inbox out. And I need to respond to a couple of these texts that came in last night. And then I'm, in other words, we make the important subservient to the urgent. Mm. And that's the antidote for a very frustrating life. I mean, I, we, we like to call that swirling mass of urgent things that, you know, right now, Jeff, if you could see my head in a figurative way, you'd see this. It'd be like 100 airplanes swirling around my head. They're all there. We call that the whirlwind. And our metaphor holds up because almost everybody that hears that, Jeff will say, gosh, that's right. I live in a whirlwind. You know? <laughs> and there's furniture and trees and cars swirling all around me. What do I do? Uh, so it's the ability to focus in the midst of the whirlwind. That's really a skill for life. Anybody can focus if there was no whirlwind. Like Jeff, if I answer this question quickly and without effort, if I said to you, you have one thing to accomplish today and it's the only thing that matters, is it highly likely you would accomplish it? Yes. Well, sure. <laughs> All right. But then the brain immediately says, but what about, but what about, but what about, but what about, what about this? And what about that? What about the phone call you need? What about you know, and that's the dilemma. That's why I started my podcast with you by saying the biggest challenge we face is that we're busy. And, and Jeff, if you don't mind, I'm, I think I've gone too long on this answer, but I'll add to that. The second biggest challenge we face is thinking that, that we're actually working on all of it at once. You know, multitasking is the greatest lie ever perpetrated on the human race. I, or maybe not the greatest, but one of the greatest lies because we think we're doing it. You know, if people are listening to our podcast right now and they're also eating a sandwich and they're also making some notes about things they want to pick up at the grocery store this afternoon and their phone is buzzing with uh, text messages coming in and they're glancing over at those, you think you're doing all of that? And uh, if I can say it in a way that's only intended to have verbal impact, Jeff, I hope it's appropriate. You, you've really become a sucker for mediocrity mm. if that's how you're living your life. You've, that's a recipe for absolute mediocrity. And of course, the antidote to that is the ability to focus in spite of the whirlwind of urgent things that are swirling around. You know, one way that I think about this concept is that the days that I have one important thing to do, I've never been more productive in everything else in my life, meaning that I'm doing <laughs> all the other things I could possibly do except that one thing. And it's oh, remarkable it true? how true that is and how so many of us live like this so often. Yeah. And I catch myself in that frequently and have to remind myself, like, Jeff, you're not even following your own advice here. Like, go back to what you know <laughs> is actually true. But I think that we just have that tendency to want to, yes, things that are urgent, but also I think it's also this delay tactic to avoid the thing that we know is important, that might be hard, that we just don't want to do. And then that all we do is find just distractions intentionally to not do the work that matters exactly right, Jeff. And, and I will confess, because you've been vulnerable, I'll be transparent and vulnerable as well. There are days when I end the day with an immaculately organized bookshelf, <laughs> and I did not do the very thing I was supposed to do that day, you know? Um, and and I, I don't know if you'll, you would agree with this word, although I'd love to hear your reaction. You know, I think of that as a form of resistance. Oh, yeah. I think we have something important to do, and maybe it's challenging. Maybe it's going to take a while. Maybe we don't even really want to do it, but it's important and we're supposed to do it. All, it could be any of those things. And so instead of doing it and actually getting out from under all that negative feeling, we, we find ways to resist it. And, and sometimes, as you say, resistance takes the form of cleaning out my inbox. I've been meaning to get to that, you know, and, 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 uh, and then we end up at the end of the day, not having done what we really needed to do. 
And sometimes, I guess, we pay a very high price. We ignore the important things in your life long enough, and you will pay a price that will make all the resistance seem like a huge waste of energy and time. Have you read the books by Stephen Pressfield about resistance? Oh, yeah. In fact, I'm, I'm shamelessly drawing on what I think I learned. Mm. Um, uh, and this is funny, Jeff. We're, we're seem to be connected in this way that just yesterday I finished my second pass through turning pro. Oh, right. But I will say that the war of art was a life changing book for me. It literally, it put a name on this thing that I was struggling with. And uh, Jeff, it made it seem almost like an entity, you know, like, like resistance is like an adversary. And if you, if you haven't read, I hope it's all right to promote him a moment. Stephen Pressfield, the war of art is a, is a miraculous book in terms of, understanding the nature of the struggle, what, what in execution we like to call um, executing in spite of the whirlwind. Stephen Pressfield really teaches in using different language, but a, but a very similar concept that uh, people who, who are really professional, who are really going to do what they've said they're going to do, find a way to overcome the adversary that he calls resistance. And, and I I found that language to be incredibly. I'll even say to myself, "Why am I resisting this? You know, uh, why am I? Why do I suddenly feel compulsive need to my clothes closet? Why? <laughs> you know, it's because I'm resisting. Resistance is an 800-pound gorilla standing in front of my computer with the blog post I need to be writing today. So, you know, am I going to end the day with with five bags of clothes going to Goodwill?" Uh, and no blog post, or am I going to get that blog post done and then find a way to do the other things that were less important? Um, and Stephen Pressfield does a lot to teach us that. Yeah, in the past, I've called that the uh, the clean house syndrome. So I end <laughs> up with a very clean house. Nothing else is accomplished, but man, yeah. it looks good around here. You know, that's the the feeling. Um, you know what's awful about that is, don't you guilty have you just have a little moment of kind of satisfaction too? Oh, Look of course. at the file cabinet. Look at this. It's alphabetized. Yeah. You know. <laughs> And that's that's the and biggest that's the biggest draw I think is that because you get that hit of dopamine trying to do yeah. these other things, you, it reinforces the wrong behavior, and that to unlearn that is is challenging. Yeah, it's the nutritional equivalent of junk food, isn't it? Yes, uh, totally. It's like is. a brownie, I ate a boy. That brownie was awesome, you know. And now I got <laughs> nothing, nothing in my system. Fast forward to the end of 2024 and think about your goals. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should check out my sponsor, Babbel. Finally achieve your new language goal in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold, and studies from Yale, Michigan State University, and others continue to prove Babbel is better. One study found that using Babbel for 15 hours is equivalent to a full semester at college. Babbel's convenient courses have helped me to learn real-life conversation skills in German, including ordering food and asking for directions, without having to rely on language apps while traveling. Now, here's a special limited-time deal for my listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for my listeners at babbel.com slash 5am. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash 5am, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash 5am. Rules and restrictions may apply.
So there is a, before we get to my final question that I usually ask my guests, I want to get, make sure that are there's any other core concepts of the book that we've not mentioned today that you want to make sure we discuss. Oh, I do. And thank you for reminding me on this because I'm, I'm literally having so much fun with you. I've, I've lost track of where we were. So we, we talked about discipline one, which in its formal language is called focus on important, but simple terms just means choosing one goal to be elevated above all the other ones, to be given the finest effort that you have. And then we talked about discipline two, which is to act on the lead measures. And that's identifying the one or two key actions that are actually drivers of that goal and performing them consistently and with excellence all throughout the week. Uh, we have 50% of the equation left, and I'll say it quickly, Jeff, in the time that we have. Uh, discipline three, uh, everybody who knows me personally around the world knows this is my favorite discipline of all the four. It's like it's like choosing a child to be your favorite, you know, but still <laughs> here it is. Discipline three is to keep a compelling scoreboard. Um, and, and, you know, before everybody tunes out for a moment and says, okay, I've already got a dashboard at work. Or I've already got a, something on the refrigerator, you know. Um, I want to tell you, it's one of my greatest learnings as a leader. 44 years in leadership, including being a CEO and, and teaching leaders all over the world. This was a breakthrough idea for me that the way we keep score influences the way we play. It's as simple as I know how to say it. So if you're leading a team of people and you're trying to get them engaged and they seem apathetic or cynical or resistant, it might be that the way you're keeping score doesn't make this seem like a compelling game. And it could also be as an individual. You know, if you've got a goal that's simply dry, maybe you're keeping a little notepad somewhere of how well you're doing or something, um, and you're losing your motivation or you're wondering how to tap into the next level of motivation, ponder this idea for a moment that if the way you kept score was compelling, it would make you want to play the game to win. It's the same idea we know when we watch a football game, you know, and there's a big scoreboard. Aren't we riveted to the scoreboard about as many minutes as we're actually watching the game, you know, mm. or try turning off the scoreboard during a, a, a college football game? You, you'd have a riot in the stands, you know, <laughs> but you might say, well, wait a minute, that's not the game. That's just the board. Well, but the board is influencing how we feel about the game. So learning to keep a compelling scoreboard is discipline three, and it's a powerful way to gain engagement from yourself or from a team of people. And then last of all, Jeff, I'll say this quickly, is um, is the most important discipline of all. Shame on me. Uh, I've saved the most important one for time that we have together, but I'll say it quickly. It's the discipline of creating a cadence of accountability. Now, you already used this language today. You know, you said every morning I do this, every week I do this. You you have in your vocabulary indications that you operate in a systematic or consistent way. And, th and that's really the key. This regular cadence of accountability is a driver. So think of it this way uh, as I wrap this up, Jeff. Discipline one, two, and three are really the design of a powerful and winnable game. But discipline four, the cadence of accountability, that's how you play the game. That's the actual playing of the game. So imagine it this way. You've got this incredible goal that you're trying to achieve. You know the key behaviors you're after. You've got a fun and compelling scoreboard to tell you how you're doing, but you're still down every single week. You've got to actually do something. And it's the committing to something and following through on that cadence that drives the actual performance on the other three disciplines. And, and we just say to everybody, you know, if you're in a team, learn to be accountable, not just to the boss, but to each other. 
by saying out loud every week, like your team there at the 5 a.m. Miracle, Jeff, if you've got your team of people, if you take 10 minutes, 15 minutes a week and you sit around a table or get on a, on a call and everybody says, what are you, what's your biggest commitment for the coming week to help us reach our goal? Say it out loud. Suddenly, you're not just accountable to the leader. You're, you're really accountable to the people that you work with. And then one week later, say out loud whether you did it or not. You know, I said I would train the new person on our team last week, Jeff, and I meant to do it, but I, I didn't get to it. You know, when you have to say that out loud, it will bring discipline. It will bring the desire for discipline to you. And, and if you're an individual, finally, listening to this uh, podcast today and you're thinking, well, wait a minute, Jim, I don't have a team. It's just me. I'm, I'm at home. I'm trying to learn <laughs> a, a new language. You know, what do I do? Find some way to make yourself accountable. So either find a buddy or a friend or a family member that you can make an agreement. You know, hey, once a week, will you give me 10 minutes? Because I need all week long, I need to know that I have to call you, Jeff, on Friday morning. And I have to tell you whether I stayed on my nutrition plan or not. I've got to tell you out loud. You know, create accountability for yourself and you'll be amazed at how it drives your performance. So that's discipline four, creating a cadence of accountability. That's I love it. That's great stuff. I think that's there's such important disciplines to have for for all of us for the goals we want to achieve. I think it's incredible to be able to integrate that. I think the, the the verbiage you're using, the terminology here to say like these are the the language we're using, and it helps to clarify. I think for a lot of us what we we may be doing, but not doing well or not doing correctly. I think it's interesting to have that framework there that really spells out like this is a way to operate that really works. Thank you, Jeff. I'm honored that you would say that. And, 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 you know, if anybody, if you don't mind a final second is uh, anybody listening to us, they might be saying, well, listen, Jeff, all he talked about was focus. That was discipline one. And, and maybe leverage I could apply to discipline two, you know, finding the few things that create bigger outcomes and maybe engagement around a scoreboard and accountability, you know, focus, leverage, engagement, accountability. Those, those ideas have been around a long time. Yeah, they have. <laughs> and if and if Chris and I and Sean have added any tremendous value to this, the one thing we've done is we've codified that language a little more clearly, and we've written an entire book on how to do it. You know, How do you make yourself accountable to another person? How do you design a scoreboard that makes you want to play? How do you find the most predictive actions or lead measures? You know, those things. Um, that's what we're the most proud of, but, but didn't invent any of the original ideas. They've been around a long time. So earlier you mentioned this idea that you have this uh, a list of your three goals for the day. And one of the things that I always ask my, my my best guests here have to do with their morning routines and really how that plays into if you have an ideal day, if you have a way that you want to, to begin the day to ensure that you know today is going to be great. What do you do in terms of being intentional about you know, those key habits or practices uh, that really make sure that like today can be great? Wow. All right. Now, I'm, I'm glad you can't see my face because it's a little humbling for me. You're you're the author of a lot of ideas like this, Jeff. So, I'll, but I will gladly tell you, as a person who admires and respects your work um, of the things that I do, I hope they match up exactly with what you would have wanted me to say. Um, I find number one that if I don't get up ahead of the rest of the world, if I don't have some time to myself in the morning, I start out sprinting. And when you start out sprinting, you may be going in the wrong direction. You know, you may be two miles down the road and say, oh, my gosh, I was supposed to go east. You know, <laughs> so I need quiet time in the morning. I need time ahead of the frenzy of my day to get myself centered and to be intentional about how I'm going to live the day. That's number one. So 
And who better would I tell that to than you, my friend, of getting up? It's not always 5 a.m. Sometimes it's 5.30. <laughs> That's the worst. <laughs> but, but definitely, it's not going to get ahead of the world. Uh, second, I, I need a moment to connect to something larger than myself, Jeff. And, and so in my world, that's a sense of being connected to my creator and to being born with a purpose and a mission. And, and I'm not trying to make that all grandiose uh, either. I'm saying I sit quietly and I try to listen rather than speak. And I, and I just, in my own humble way, you know, I just ask to be guided through the day and to do good work and to be the person that I want to become. But I, I need to feel that connection. It's like plugging in the coffee pot before you make the coffee. You know, I, I need to know my power source that I'm connected to. Uh, and then third, I absolutely always write down three things that I'm grateful for. And um, anybody who doesn't think that's challenging hasn't done it. Especially if you you know you don't write the same three things every day that that would be an obvious rule but but I, I push myself to write different things and very specific things but three things I'm grateful for I don't have to write a page uh, I just put them in my in a in a note page in my app and you can see I've got several years worth of my entries every day the three things I was grateful for that gets me centered in the right place and then I've, as I've already mentioned the three things that um, um, have to get have to happen today. And Jeff, if I made all three of the things that have to happen today, most important things for the day, if I made those all sound professional, I, I didn't do a good job explaining because they're almost never all professional. You know, I hope my my sweetheart of 40 years rises to one of those three on some given day or my <laughs> kids or my grandkids rise there. My health rises there sometimes, you know, other things I do by practice. But but I make sure the three things really are the three most important Sometimes work is more important than something at home, but sometimes home is more important than something at work. So I, I really try to ask myself honestly each morning, what are the three most important things I will do this day? And Jeff, for me, I'm not saying this with any hubris. I hope it doesn't sound like it. Those are, the, those are, those are resolute. Those things have to happen. So you would find me sometimes at 930 in the evening, which is getting closer to my bedtime these days, <laughs> uh, still saying I'm going to finish this blog post because I said I was going to get this done today. You would find me faithful to the three things. Everything else gets done after or around those three things. But those those are my morning rituals that um, have really, and I know those are things you teach. I was reading about all your things this morning uh, that have really made a huge difference in my life. You know, I think that the the discipline you just mentioned here, this idea of, you know, sometimes you'll stay up late to finish what you said you would do. I think that the the difference that I've seen between someone who does that practice of saying, you know, this I identified these things to get done today, I'm going to do that, versus saying, you know, I had 75 little tasks on my to-do list today and they all kind of drowned me out. I know that the way that I like emotionally relate to those different days, the day when I had three things, but they got done versus the 75 little things and who knows what got done. I feel emotionally drained by the larger list. And yet I feel incredibly like fulfilled and motivated by the shorter list, but I definitely got it done and I knew they were important. I feel like the practice that you're outlining here is really powerful, especially when you tack in that, that, that discipline and that sense of, you know, this is my goal today and here we're going we're gonna to make this happen. Right. In fact, don't you find, Jeff, that when you, the more you focus on the three things that you chose thoughtfully, intentionally, that were most important, the more it diminishes the urgency of all the 75 things on the list. Mm -hmm. 
And, and then I don't know if this is a good quote. Uh, I will not be able to quote it accurately, but I'll quote it paraphrase. Uh, Dr. Stephen Covey once said that the, uh, the ultimate objective of all time management systems is simply inner peace. Mm. And I, I believe that with all my heart, that when I get those three things done, if I chose them thoughtfully um, and then I did them faithfully, I really go to sleep at night with peace, <laughs> even though, yeah, there's 50 things, you know, the tyranny of a to-do list also is that it's a net list. So I can cross 10 things off and add 12 and I'm behind, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so, so inner peace. I don't know if that language is still fashionable today, but I'll tell you the 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 out the outcome of inner peace is a real and valuable thing, and and maybe in the end of the day, that's what all of this conversation, which has been a great one in my book, Jeff, maybe that's what that's about. Certainly, I think that hits a nail right in the head there. That's, that's a perfect way to wrap this up, um, Jim. This has been this has been awesome. This has been great stuff today. Really, I, I connected to what the, my audience tends to to love to hear on this show. And so obviously I want them to get a copy of the book. And so where can they go to, to learn more from you and to read the book? Oh, thank you for saying that. First of all, it's available everywhere. Isn't, isn't that great to always be able to say it, Jeff? <laughs> and then the really good news, which you're giving me maybe a second to just quickly say about is uh, we originally published The Four Disciplines of Execution in 2012. It went on to be the best-selling uh, business book in its category that year in the in the country. Now translated into 16 languages, bestseller around the world. Well, yesterday, <laughs> as you and I are recording this episode, we published the second edition. In other words, 10 years later, Chris and Sean and I sat down and said, what what, do, what have we learned in 10 years that wasn't in the first book, needs to be in the next one? And we got all that captured. And so we launched yesterday around the world, the second edition of the Four Disciplines of Execution, which is available at Amazon and Barnes and Noble and and uh, you know every, every bookstore, I hope, in the world, <laughs> and is out in about 16 languages. So hopefully, no matter where your audience is, I know you have a global audience, Jeff, uh, they should be able to find a copy in English or their own language language and i hope everybody enjoys it and will take a moment if you buy it make sure you buy the new one buy the second edition <laughs> it's better than the first one but i hope everybody has it and finds uh, finds value out of out of the simple ideas that we wrote about uh, in that book excellent Jim, this has been amazing i think the, the book is definitely a great one so i want our listeners to be sure to get a copy so i'll have a link uh, for the book in the show notes page this week uh jim thanks again it's been great Thank you, my friend. Anytime you need a guest, I'm ready. So I appreciate you letting me be on this platform. And if you don't mind, I just want to say one more time, thank you for the work you do, Jeff. It's important. You're changing the world by what you do. And, and I'm glad to have been a really small part of your very big mission on this morning. And for that action step this week, Tackle your most ambitious goals and begin with Jim's new book, The Four Disciplines of Execution, Second Edition. You know, as much as I love goals, I know how stressful it can be to tackle too much at once and believe your dreams are too ambitious to ever achieve. It doesn't have to be that way. And there's a lot you can learn from Jim's advice to execute on what matters most. JeffSanders.com slash 394 is the place to go to get the episode notes, including links, transcriptions, and more. That's all I've got here on the 5A Miracle Podcast this week. Until next time, you have the power to change your life, and the fun begins bright and early.
Hey, it's Jeff Sanders, and I'm here to tell you about Greg McEwen and his amazing show, The Greg McEwen Podcast, part of the Yap Media Network. Want to achieve more by doing less, all while avoiding burnout? You can design a life that really matters with Greg McEwen, author of New York Times bestsellers, Effortless and Essentialism. His mission is to help you advocate and negotiate your way to remarkable results. Every Tuesday, Greg discusses one key topic he finds interesting and valuable through the lens of the essentialist. Every Thursday, he invites thought leaders, entrepreneurs, celebrities, and people like you for inspired weekly conversations focused on learning how to do what matters first and do less but better. His content will stir your thoughts and spark inspiration and action. And his British accents, well, that's just the cherry on top. Subscribe to the Greg McEwen podcast today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform.